This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle. It's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, mm. hit play. And then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. And I memorized John Travolta's moves. And my like at a dance, I remember I shook my butt and I, I stuck the finger up in the air like yeah. John Travolta. And I was like, dude, how did you learn to do that? You know how to dance? And I'm like, my tia taught me all of the cool moves. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your host, comedian and radio personality, Maggie Mayfield. And Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Let's roll, baby, roll. Welcome to the show, Y-Tune Shuffle. It's my favorite part of the week. My name is Maggie Mayfield. I love hosting this show, mostly because I get to see David Earl Waterman, a.k.a. Hollywood Secret Weapon. Hey, here I am, baby. Come and take me. <laughs> and take me by the hand. And we're doing it. And today, <laughs> you have brought in one a longtime friend of yours, very yes, special guest. Give it yes. up for John Murphy. John Murphy, a.k.a. Shano. Shano. Shano Murphy. Yes. Oh, God, then here we go. That's yeah. a weird <laughs> How do you get that nickname? Go, Murph. Uh, well, when I was a kid, that's what my, all my cousins called me. Shano? Uh, yeah, and, okay. it, and it stuck. And Dad, it became kind of a thing. He And... Um, we used to have this 59 Cadillac Coupe de Ville, uh-huh. and he got the Massachusetts license plate, Shano, and they, they still hang in my house. You st- and, uh, are you still called Shano? Uh, by a close group of people that okay. know that. And now, His mom still calls and, him Shano. And now the whole world. <laughs> uh, now you. <laughs> and I, I love the name Maggie. Thank you. That's my grandmother's name, and we have a cousin named Maggie, and it's a it's a terrific Irish name. Thank you. It's actually legally Margaret. Yeah. But only call me that if I'm in trouble. Okay. <laughs> All right. Margaret. Oh, no. I didn't mean to. Do you have a big family? No. I'm an only child. Okay. So Just lots of cousins. cousins. Lots of cousins. Mm-hmm. That explains and why your mom. parents were like, we can put his name on the license plate. I had another cousin whose name was Sean as well, so that distinguished the two of us. Sean O and Sean. Yeah. Okay. So there was less confusion. Now, you have an amazing voice. Oh, thank you. You have been doing not not comedy. Nope. Talk a little bit about your career in radio and television and marketing and broadcasting. Yeah, it is a, a carefully laid out career where yes. I planned everything down to the <laughs> minute. And I just knew uh, that this was what I wanted to know. It, is, it was the most random way that I ever got into anything. I grew up in a little town called Randolph, Massachusetts. Oh, Blue collar town. Mm-hmm. I was the only kid that didn't play hockey. Oh, <laughs> so you can imagine that you know there are still scrapes and bruises and. But Does I kids d- beat you up with sticks. They're hockey sticks. <laughs> well, it's a tough town. It really uh-huh. was. I, right. They were they were they were tough kids, and that was just about twenty minutes outside of Boston. So at a time when it's an interesting time growing up there. Yeah. But when I was in high school, I loved. Music and you know, music from being a little kid has always uh, soundtracked all these very, very carefully planned out uh, adventures in my life. Yeah, no, it's all been so random and happenstance. But when I was in um, high school, I sold shoes, and it was this crazy place because it was owned, it, it, it was kind of like a throwback in time, it was like stepping back in time. Mm-hmm. Because everything, they had a little gumball machine and it wasn't like buying shoes today. You had to, to, you had to know how to use a Brannock device that measures people's feet. feet. Yeah. They have and big it, metal contraption, yeah. like a big ruler. It's not like the mat at Payless where you just step on and you're like, oh, no. I'm a size eight. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, uh, and families came in there and they relied on from older women to 
young kids getting their first shoes, and it was owned by a, a kind of a venerable family in town, and uh, it was called Brodel's Bootery, and um, and but there were all, a bunch of us young kids who worked there, mm-hmm. and it really was something out of a movie when I think back on it now, because by all outward appearances, this was a almost like a um, bucolic, dignified shoe store that where people were nice and, oh, look at you. Oh, you've gotten big, David. <laughs> yeah. Now, the last time you were in. Hi, John. Yeah. In the, in the stock room, though, because we were all young, but because of the, the composition of the people that work there and the characters that work there, while it appeared very much like a Leave it to Beaver episode on the sales room floor, yeah. in the stock room it was like Caligula's Rome. Yeah. Yeah, it was just insane. It oh, was, so like exactly. Oh, there details. were bongs and there were... <laughs> There was such nefarious behavior, and then you'd come out and you'd be kind of like, oh, uh, you know, Mrs. Onderman. Oh, look at that. Yeah, and I think that's like was... any restaurant today. If you've ever seen the movie Waiting, yep. it's yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, if the restaurant sold shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it is like a shoe salesman, the, the, the whole Ted Bundy thing. Not Ted Bundy. <laughs> Bundy, it, Bundy. It, you could see why sometimes that Married might be. Children, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ted Bundy. Yeah. Um, but uh, so we all palled around together, and it was this great... Um, camaraderie around shoes. And I'll, t- I'll tell you this, and the, la- the last I'll say about shoes, <laughs> it is a weird thing to do because it's taught me more about people. Because when you sit down on the stool to, and people stick their feet out at you, you're in a very different position on the, you know, there's, a, there's kind of a hierarchy there. Mm-hmm. And it taught me really to appreciate going back to restaurants Instantly knowing who's cool and who isn't. Because mm-hmm. in, in restaurants and as was at the shoe store, how people treat people that they believe are beneath them yeah. or in service positions is really telling about who they are. Exactly. I used to work for a guy and he'd, this is what he'd do to oh. waiters. And I would just, I would be mortified. Yeah. And, you know, like, it just used to bother me. Anyway, the guy who owned the shoe store, when I was getting out of college, he, the whole family went to this college called Stonehill College in Easton, which was kind of like a little version of, of Boston College. And it was run by Jesuits. And I did all of my early kind of academic basic studies there. Because the, the, the Jesuits, to give them credit, they're very competitive thinkers. And they're very smart folks. Yeah, sure. But I didn't belong there. I had long hair and I was a ne'er-do-well and I was really interested in music. And circuitously one day, I'm talking to my cousin. He's married to this woman who works at a radio station in Boston. And it's the, as people do, I I sound old and I'm sure people have said this on this show before, but radio used to have such a different relationship in people's lives because Mm -hmm. before the internet, when there were only two newspapers in town and you had your underground papers what radio DJs especially, what they talked about and what they imprinted as cool made a big difference on you at that time because mm-hmm. that's the only place you were getting it from. Mm-hmm. And this station was the biggest in Boston. What is it? Uh, it was called WBCN, mm-hmm. where Waterman and I at, at various times have I was on the it. listener line yes. with Ken Sheldon, the midday guy. Yeah. Oh answered the phones. God. I was on Ken's listener line. And yeah. meanwhile, Murph's cutting tracks and commercials and yeah. working. We didn't that's even how know each other. No, the, didn't oh. even know each other at the no. time. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. I go in one day, and there's a, the morning guy is a guy named Charles Laquadera. And again, I'm a kid who's selling shoes in Randolph. My worldview is not particularly great. I, we grew up in a small two-bedroom apartment. Mom, Dad, and I, and, and my grandmother, Maggie, mm-hmm. uh, would be with us every weekend. And oh, 
it was very interesting, but my worldview was kind of limited. I had a, a great friend who was my, he became a great friend, who was my uh, junior high social studies teacher and turned me on to all sorts of books and stuff like that. But past that, it was limited. And what I was going to end up doing with my life was completely a, a, a giant question mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't know. And it, when I was at Stonehill, the only thing that kind of kept me sane was I got involved in the college radio station there. So anyway, BCN, I sit down. Charles Lacordaire is there. It's the end of the uh, show he did called The Big Mattress, and my head exploded. Mm-hmm. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, my God, mm-hmm. there's a bigger world out there that I'm not, I'm they get paid to do this. Uh-huh. And there's a young man standing over there who I become friends with and worked with, who's doing all the voices on the show, who's very famous now. His name's Billy West. Oh, uh, yeah. Futurama yeah. Uh-huh. and uh, Ren and Stimpy. Oh, and, that guy? <laughs> yeah, Bill, I knew when he was, a, a, you know, a, a young kid from Roslindale. And, Ren and uh, Stimpy, oh my God. Oh, yeah, that, those are so funny. The first season of that is... And, and he was he was doing voices for like no money at BCN when you guys became yeah. friends and started yeah. hanging out with him. Oh, yeah, Bill was uh, a lot of people went through BCN. Eddie Gordetsky, who's a big TV producer, there were a lot of uh, really talented people who worked there. So that was my first kind of exposure to a world outside of that. Yeah. And and you know records line the wall mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, you know, remember what records are. And, right. right? <laughs> it's like one of those places where you walk into and you're like, do people know that I'm not cool enough to be in this space? Oh, completely. Yeah, we're like, like oh please don't God. find out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so um, I ended up uh, working on the weekends for this guy named Oedipus, who is a, the program director there, who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and had cultivated this kind of personality. And he would get the coolest, latest records. Uh, you know, he broke the clash. He broke the police. He, I mean, his music tastes were just stunning mm-hmm. and still remain. And he, you know, let me produce a show he was doing called Nocturnal Emissions. Mm. Yeah. Hugely famous show. Hugely I mean, I remember show. I was listening to Nocturnal Emissions when I first moved to Boston from upstate New York. And it's like. Mm. Yeah. Incredible. We would stuff. do movie giveaways and all this kind of, and all these celebrities would come in and and be guests on the show. And again, yeah, uh, it was the it was the beginning of of a, an experience that I that's followed me all my life, where my head just explodes and I keep having to say, "What the hell am I doing? Yeah, here? how did I? Get, you know." Yeah. So, um, for kids who are on a, on a very clear track with what they're going to do with their careers. I guess that works, but for me, it's all been hapstance. That's great, though. There's something you say. So you sound like a kind of a curious guy. You're just like, yes. Oh, absolutely. Passionate. Just, when, yeah. when you talk about Murph, it's just the the that's what attracted to me as yeah. a friend of his, and I've been honored to be a friend of his. Is that Murph is a guy, but, it's, <laughs> but like genuine, passionate about stuff. You went to Emerson College. Yes. Yeah, so I transferred oh. and went to Emerson, and that's where also and talk about the people changed. that were there mm-hmm. as your colleagues. Yes. And <laughs> yes. When I transferred to Emerson and I was out with a friend of mine who went to BU, he said, oh, you're going to Emerson next semester? I said, yeah. And he said, okay, the guy you got to look out for, he's hysterical, is John Ennis. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, how do you know him? He said he was just on the HBO Young Comedian special with a guy named Joe Murphy and Joe Piscopo was hosting it. And Piscopo tried to kind of upend them and give them a little, you know, Joe <laughs> being that way. And uh, they just smacked him down comedically. And it was great. And so that stuck with me. My first day, t- took a comedy writing class. It was a kind of college where you could take comedy writing classes. Yeah. And famously, Dennis Leary taught there for a long time. Oh, he was their uh, professor, Dennis Leary. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> insane. Um, but he, I think I just, he was there the semester before and then got in some arguments. We had, I forget who he had. A, somebody. Oh, Mike McDonald, actually, I think, then took over, who's a famous Boston comedian. 
And then plops down next to me, John Ennis. And I said, oh, my God. And we remain friends to yeah. up to texting yesterday. That's great. Uh, he's a very, very funny, talented guy. Yeah. And uh, and he brought me into a world that included guys like David Cross and Carrie Prusa and eventually David Waterman. I was going to say, these names sound familiar. Yeah, yeah Dave did well. Dave's mm-hmm. done very well. Yeah. But, um, you know, John Groff uh, uh, was, uh, was Louis part of Louis C.K., the Silverman then. sisters, Laura and Sarah were kind of in that mix. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, once we got out of college and they, uh, they start, started doing uh, cross-comedy, it was, a, it was a marvelous time to be at that age, at that place. Yeah. Because my world was really opening up to me. I was in the city. I was having a blast. I had great friends. Music was absolutely the coolest. There were bars all through Boston at that time. Everybody went out every night yeah. and had and had a blast. Murph was like Murph had an apartment in the north end of Boston. Maggie, it's the Italian section. So awesome. And in his apartment there was access to a roof. What? Legendary Fourth oh. of July parties hosted oh, yeah. by probably ten years of them. Yeah. At least ten years of them on the roof, looking over, you know, mess wow. the harbor. And just it, music, music was yeah. the was so important. Yeah, we were right on the waterfront, and uh, boats come by, and they would shoot fireworks off. Right, R- literally, you could see the barge where they would shoot them. So, for New Year's and for Fourth of July, that was the place. And then, I, and I kept it for twenty something years, just because it was rent controlled. I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> not because I'm wealthy, but uh, it was rent controlled, and my parents were still back there. And then everybody from Boston who wanted to go back and crash. That was always available to them. They'd walk mm-hmm. down to the little Italian grocery store and say, "Do you have Murphy's keys?" And they'd ah, oh, you're staying there. Okay, oh. wait a minute. Yeah. They'd be right back. Yeah. It was incredible. Oh, it was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful time of life. Yeah, I was with a beautiful woman, and she was. We we just had, and it it taught me to cook. Number one, uh-huh. because you it was really it's the most European part of any city I've been to here in, in the United States. And there are no supermarkets. So you had one guy who sold cheese, the other guy who sold fish, the other guy who saw – and it just was it just was really perfect. And music was an enormous part of it. Yeah. And going out to see my friends perform, I was a patron of the arts. I was never so much involved in any sketches, although maybe a shout-out once in a while from the audience. But No, were you on the air? No. You didn't? Okay. So, um, But you've done a lot behind the scenes. Yes. I've been very lucky to have worked with and known – as friends, all the people that I just mentioned. And then when I was out here, I ended up working for a company, and it was at the height of TV marketing and promotion. And it was an amazing, amazing time to be out here because I got to know people like Don LaFontaine and uh, Tom Kenny, and uh, you know who I knew back from, from doing stand-up. Um, he was doing stand-up. And they all would congregate, all, the, all these radio guys, you know, with mm-hmm. these incredible voices. And, mm-hmm. you know, and they'd tell stories. They'd all be late for their next sessions because back then there was no ISDN. Everybody had to travel. Yep. You showed up in the studio. You performed. There was machine. a day I was driving up the 405 listening to a station that no longer exists. It was like classic oh, yeah. 10-something. Yeah. Who was the host? The guy Gary from, Owens. Gary Owens, legendary voice, and and Gary comes on to do his show, and he said, "I just came from a wonderful lunch," and he named all of these names and John Murphy, for, you know. And, and I'm you're like, like, I know that. And guy. I'm like driving past John Murphy's house as I'm yeah. hearing this. Well, it was uh, yeah, he was talking about. I think um, he played a Neil Hefty song, right. and Neil and I were great friends, and Neil, no longer alive, and uh, like Gary, talk uh, about God just a, Neil, like some of his claims. Yeah, he, what he. Uh, he is a f- fabulous 
backstory, but he was famous for, most famous as a jazz arranger. He was Count Basie's arranger for many years, and he mm-hmm. wrote songs like Little Darling and Cute mm-hmm. and all these great jazz standards that are, you know, in the lexicon of the American songbook. And so we had had lunch with Gary. Gary was a legend. If, if you remember Laugh-In, he, uh, he was the announcer for that. He did tons of animation. Gary knew everyone and had this great capacity to remember everything about everyone. Yeah. And he'd remember your name. He'd remember your background in, if he'd only met you once. Wow. And he had pipes, unbelievable, funny, introduced Sonny and Cher, mm-hmm. um, knew Marilyn Monroe well. Knew, I mean, you could, there's not a name. Tom Kenny, you know, says, you know, you could throw any name out. Lincoln. Oh, <laughs> I remember Lincoln. He was a, he got a bit of a drinker, but... <laughs> Kind of a depressing guy. Yes. Oh, yes, Lincoln. I... So radio, voiceover, television, I mean, you've kind of seen From Randolph, it. Massachusetts yeah. to Writing Hollywood. Writing is, is what I love to do. Yeah. And that's what I came out here to do, was to write. Yeah. And I wrote a spec script for a Chris Elliott show called Get a, that was called Get a Life. Mm-hmm. And in my naivete, I somehow got it to him. They liked it. And we had an ongoing kind of discussion back and forth because he was from New Hampshire. We made these attempts to get going over the summer, and I thought, oh, my God. Hollywood writing, this is what I, you know, mm-hmm. this is easy. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, <laughs> and, of course, it was the lowest rated show on Fox. Rupert Murdoch hated it. And by the time it came to do something, they had already retooled it. Mm-hmm. And so it was fine. But I had a friend who moved out here. I came out to visit a couple of times. And I had in Boston, as Dave knows, t- you know, there were two kind of migrations after a while. People either came to L.A., or they came to New York. So Carrie Prusa went to New York and Louis C.K., the whole scene with Chuck Sklar and Conan and all of that. And then some of us like Ennis and David Cross came out here and uh, Dave Waterman and uh, Hollywood Secret Weapon That's was right. at the time and <laughs> well, remains. Well, well said. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I came out and I got a job. I kind of reinvented myself again with very little plan. I knew one guy who worked at this company and I started screening episodes of Baywatch. And within about six months, I was the, I was the creative director. On and Baywatch? No, on the, oh. uh, for uh, we would have Baywatch was a client. We would do all of their marketing oh, and promotion. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I go to Hawaii to shoot their image campaigns, and Ooh. but it was like getting paid to go to school, and then to be you know surrounded by all of these great talents and people, and ha- having a young writing staff that, and we were churning out so much. Yeah, it was just with a great friend of mine, uh, Jay Curtis, who uh, lives in New York now. But we just spent three hours just talking about all the great stories, all the great people that you came to know, and you know. And One of Jay, your longest uh, running clients is Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. Yeah, I still wow. they still uh, bring me in from time to time to do That's stuff cool. with that. Oh, it was it's so great. cool. I mean, and all of us benefited too because Murph oh, yeah. would be like, "Hey, we're going to do this twenty-five year thing. Will you come and just pretend you're a security officer, and I'll yep. pay you money." All day long, I'm pretending. in these incredible campaigns, they were not just like a promo. It was like Murph would do a show. (laughs) Yeah, these were, you know, half-million-dollar shoots. They took a chance on me. I was the biggest long shot when they invited me to come in and pitch that. And I came in and I pitched a bunch of different ideas. And the only thing that I didn't either storyboard or write music for, kind Mm -hmm. of thing you were telling me about, Mm -hmm. you know, do parodies for, Mm -hmm. Because you never, you never know what they really want. And there are shows that 
were very much trying to seem very relevant. And even though their audiences, uh, they have actually quite a diverse audience. But many kids learn to spell watching Wheel of Fortune. And, oh, you know, yeah. their family, they're, they're, they're very grounded I in remember, family. Yeah, we, stuck, we sat around and watched Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, my, mom, my dad loved Vanna White. R-S-T-L-N-E. Yeah. Vanna. Yeah. Oh, we love Vanna White. I love Vanna White. What a weird job Vanna White has. Yes, she's one of the nicest people. In I'm the world. sure she Absolutely. really is, and we got her to do comedy, which is not what she is Stop good to do. Stop it! Yeah, that's not you know necessarily in her wheelhouse, but she she actually it is under the right circumstances. So I went in and I pitched this thing, and I had this one script that I thought there's no way anybody's going to buy this. And my my premise to them was like, okay, for 25 years you've had what more are you going to do with Pat and Vanna and the wheel? Those are the three main things on the show, and you've probably cut this every way till Sunday. There are some other characters, though, and I think we should introduce them to the world. And so I start reading the script that says, Don't Blame Z. And it's backstage at the Wheel of Fortune Commissary, and um, we notice curiously that there are these regular people milling about, but also people wearing letters. And uh, Z is in the forefront, and he looks at the camera, and he goes, he's trying to get coffee and doesn't get the waitress's attention. He's kind of forlorn, and he says... If you can't tell, I'm a Z. You know how much work I book? R's and everything. N's got a house in the hills. <laughs> <It was> genius. <laughs> genius. And don't get me started on why. What's he, a vowel or a consonant? You <laughs> oh tell me. Oh, my God. And his phone rings, and it's the wheel theme, and he goes, hang on. What? A, a puzzle on tonight's show? <gasps> Razzmatazz? That's fantastic. Oh. And, and it doesn't stop there. They were just, like money. And, it was my favorite character. Yeah. <laughs> And then he comes back and he just looks at the camera and he and it ended up being a friend of ours, John Ennis, who I didn't. I just had him come in and read, and he was so good. But he looks at the camera and he goes, "There are a couple of lowercase letters at home who are going to be pretty proud of their dad tonight." <laughs> oh, and they just went crazy. That's so funny. And they're like, "Can you do?" And I so we did nine or ten of them, you know, personalizing all these characters. Um, so it wasn't just the letter Z. It could no, be like no, the was, letter Q or it yeah. was it was whatever. a it was a very intricate comedy sketch that was yeah. custom made we, we, for Wheel of Fortune. We created a, a kind of a nether world, a wheel world. <laughs> it was uh, hilarious. Is but, this somewhere online? Like I could look mm-hmm. it up. Yeah, oh my God, and uh, and, and, and you're real, I'm sure. Yeah, and Dave came in and just killed. He was. Uh, he just played in one spot a security guard mm-hmm. when the glamorous Anne gets out of her limo. But the the rest of the day, we were shooting all this other ancillary stuff for them. And so Dave and, and John Ennis and uh, and everybody who was there shooting, I mean, it was just everybody was going crazy. Ed Krasnick was on, 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 a, on a spot. It was a veritable who, who's who of comedy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Who? So how – okay, so before we get into your music then, sure. what's the story? How did you guys finally meet? Because there were a lot of, we well, know each other, but Yeah, not I'll, I'll tell my version, mm-hmm. and then you fill in the gaps. Um, John mm-hmm. Ennis, whose name is coming up when the show and, and will be a guest at some point, is one of the most gregarious, loving, and energetic people I've ever met in my life, and happened to be a good friend of, of John Murphy's. And okay. one night, uh, what John had done was rented a huge loft space in mm-hmm. the south end of Boston on a street called Thayer Street, which housed this incredibly huge warehouse full of artists and musicians. And we were rehearsing a show called Flurby Humans. It was a comedy improv sketch show. Mm-hmm. Um, Carrie Prusa, David Cross was a member of it, Laura Silverman. And it was just a very simple thing. Uh, one night, John Ennis says, yeah, my buddy's coming back from Jamaica. 
John Murphy. And now bear in mind, these are skateboarders, bicycle messengers, long hair, tattoos. Okay. And in walks a combination of Paul McCartney and Dean Martin. Okay. Murph walks in with a blazer, pressed shirt, shoes. He was an anomaly. It was like all these like, like you know, punkers. Yeah. And, and it was just such a, not I won't, I won't say dirty, but it was an old warehouse. And it was just like, if the soundtrack for Murph walking in, if I recall, it was... And it was just like, boom, boom. And, you know, as the years pass by, it's like I'm on Olympic Boulevard out in Los Angeles, California. And Uh like when I first came out here, he rolls out the welcome mat. You know, remember that big party you threw when I came out here? I I do remember that. I think the first time that uh, I really realized that Dave was, that there was something very extraordinary about him, we were in another one of the many places John Ennis lived. We had never really gotten close, uh, mm. per se. We were downstairs, sitting around in kind of what was John's little man cave down there. Dave t- goes on this story. He tells me about serving in the Falkland Islands. Grenada. Oh, Grenada, was it? I'm sorry. <laughs> Grenada, was that timeline. And, I, and for whatever reason, I, I, would, I was hook, line, and sinker. Oh, this story? There's a bit of blarney. There's a bit of the blarney coming out of it. And then I realized, oh, I've been had... Oh my god! And I loved it. I thought it was. When great. did this story, story come up before? It, with I Chuck? think with Chuck Sklar's oh, okay, yeah. episode, oh, okay. and apparently people believed it for years. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was what, perpetuated. Yeah. As, yeah. Craig Riggs, when he when when I revealed it to him, he was literally angry with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All but, of this yeah. life has been informed by so much music. Yes, and how it has. did you pick five? Is beyond me. Well, shall we shall we dive sure. into song? Number? I'm so ready. Here <laughs> yeah. We, here we go. Song number okay. one. Mm-hmm. Please sing along. This is my favorite part. Be a green. Be a green. Where'd you live? <laughs> this is awesome. We all live in a yellow submarine. Yellow submarine. Wow. A yellow submarine. First thing. Yeah. I love this. Love it. it was fun. And as, if, when I was a kid, you know, I was a young kid when this came out. This was a hard choice because the two songs that really I loved obsessively was uh, Yellow Submarine and I would play, my parents had Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Mm-hmm. If there's a little Dean, Dean Martin in me, it comes from that and from my dad. And that was a seminal record. And it ended up being used on the dating game, uh, tracks of it, but yeah, Whipped Cream and Other Delights. And it had uh, an album cover of a, uh, a very famous, very attractive woman covered in whipped cream. Hmm. And uh, it was uh, it will be thematic now, as it turns out. Uh, uh, maybe it's good that I didn't. Uh, pick that one, but um, <laughs> but uh, sort of what's amazing, and again, in the like, how did I get here? Really, my favorite place that I, I socialize a lot is here in Los Angeles is Vibrato, which is owned by Herb Alpert. And oh. so now Herb's daughter and I are friends, <laughs> and I see Herb from time to time, and I'm like, and he was a he he, he was the A in A and M Records, and so um, Herb has had a very successful career and was just nominated for a Grammy yet again this wow, year. Wow, that's great. Got a new album coming out. I'm plugging everyone. Yeah, <laughs> you should. Promotion, marketing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> yeah, what I do. That's in your that's blood, funny. I can see. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Yellow Submarine 
It's just... Do you remember the first time you heard it? Uh, no. But I, I'm sure it was one of my cousins, I'm sure, who played it for me mm-hmm. or one of the other kids in the neighborhood. I was lucky that there were, you know, some older kids. So, because my mom and dad loved music, and we had this great dry sink that my dad was very—he was a very, very clever fellow and loved woodworking. And so that was our record player. He had put a, a, a turntable in this dry sink and oh my put God. holes in the side of it and put a speaker in. A beautiful, beautiful. Wow! Place. And kept all the records in the little thing underneath, and uh, yeah, and they had the Herb Alpert record. They had Ray Charles' Modern Sounds and Country and Western Music, which is a Fabulous record. Uh, Nat King Cole. I remember Ramblin' Rose. Yeah. Who was like the kid in the neighborhood that kind of introduced you to the music that you know and love? Because everyone's got like that yeah. big brother, right? right? So like who was the big oh, brother in, for you? In my, in my life, for sure, my cousin Lisa. She's a... Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And so she she was always a step hip ahead of me. Yeah, this just... It's such an innocent, fun Mm-hmm. Song uh, and it takes me back to a place that uh, that we lived in a neighborhood then before my dad sort of had some health issues, where we had a big sprawling house, a German Shepherd, plenty of kids in the neighborhood, big not even a backyard. It was just woods, acres of woods that you could ride yes. your bike. And then back then, we didn't have helmets or uh, you just went out and took your lumps, mm-hmm. you know. But that was more fun than it, it was just and and it's also. That house uh, on 280 South Street in Randolph, um, my father built it and grew up in the house next door. And when he was a little kid, it was the, during the Depression, and for years they lived in a two-room chicken coop, he and his mm-hmm. brother and his mother and his two sisters. And uh, they had a very, very hard life, but they were the happiest people in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and he was just was my best friend. And he and I would go around and drive around in the 59 Caddy when my mom and my grandmother would be... Doing the girl thing, <laughs> whatever that yeah, we, is. <laughs> um, and that was our, you know, we drive around and he'd teach me all about the history of the uh, town. Did you guys stop and get ice cream or yep. waffles somewhere? Okay. Yeah, we'd go to Stanley's or, or, or we'd go once in a while. He was a member of the Elks and we'd stop there and I would have Slim Jims and Pepsis or Cokes. <laughs> but I would have to sit in the ladies' lounge. Why? Because the members' lounge was where the members were, where the men swore and talked about whatever they wanted to talk about. The ladies' lounge was insane, and it was all the wives. And they're all, and this is like on a Saturday at two, and they're all red faced and boozy (laughs) with those accents, you know, like, tell me something. Now, which, whose son are you? Well, um, I'm John Murphy's son. Oh, you must go to school with my Johnny. Um, yeah, I do. Why did the son lie to his mother? Why would a son lie to his mother? I don't know. And I so I, and I'm just and I'm like ten, you know. And I'm like, and I think this was like, is this going to be my future? Is this what? Am I glimpsing? Oh, please, thank you. Thank you, Charles Lacadera. We all live in a yellow yeah, submarine. The, the record gets slow and windy, and it's like, in the town. Oh. Where are we? Oh, oh, you tell your mother to out of your hern said hi. I can't. Okay, I will. We might get into this a little bit later, but from that house, you lived and grew up, and until your mother moved out here with you, yeah. a two-room apartment in two a random yeah. two-bedroom yeah. apartment complex, and that's a story. Wow. So. Yeah, my there's a million stories there. Um, we had to move her out. She had a stroke uh, seven years ago, June 26th. I was with you mm-hmm. the night before downtown, the, the, and we were at Morton's actually downtown. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next morning, I get a call and I find out that she's sick. And 
So she's 92 now and still kicking, and we had relatives out, and she's dead. <laughs> Being an only child, that's why I kept the place in the North End. <laughs> it was, you worry about your parents. Mm-hmm. And I would talk to her, and I'd say, and she was a heavy smoker, and I'd say, you know, how was your day? And anything happened? No, no, no. Years after I moved her out here, and, and that apartment in that town kind of got really sketchy, and it was very dangerous, and she was in a three-story walk-up. And every time I'd go back, I'd be like, oh, you're going to just get her out of here. And she didn't want to leave. She was Boston Irish, stubborn. Mm-hmm. They dig in like, mm-hmm. you know. So she she tells me this story. I said, you know, she, she wasn't happy moving out to Santa Monica. <laughs> she was very depressed. And that's very understandable because this was her home for years. Yeah. She got up one morning making a cup of coffee, can't see out of one eye. We call the ambulance and she never goes back. So she's out here, and it's a tough adjustment, and I, I fully understand. <laughs> the only time it got better was about six months into her first year out here when they nabbed Whitey Bulger one block away. Um, incredible. The no- notorious Boston Irish gangster who was, after bin Laden, was most wanted. Wow. And they were, they'd been looking for years, for 19 years for him. And he was one block away from my mom, and all of a sudden, with her walker and a caregiver, she's down there looking at the helicopters, and it all came home to roost. Boston came to Santa Monica. Good enough for Whitey. Good enough, Alan Murphy. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. That's amazing. Real real quick. Sure. Didn't she have some sort of FBI surveillance Mm -hmm. out of the apartment? Stop it. Oh yeah. My mom has a, has a flair for uh, things that are sort of not uh, – she loves crime shows and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> Who doesn't? But, yeah. But then she's telling me we're having lunch at the Lobster in Santa Monica. And I said, you know, it was a good idea that we got you out of there because it just it's just a tough town. And, and you know, it was a tough town then, but it was it was peaceful. And uh, we had a, there were just a lot of rough people now in the apartment. I said, I know it wasn't the easiest circumstances. And she said, well, I'll tell you. I mean, there was that incident with the, with the kids and the cops and that that had me. And I said, what what incident is that? Oh, did I never tell you? No. <laughs> I love these moments. No, no, no. Why don't you tell me? Oh, well. I'm looking out the window one day, and I see this kid, and I say, I can tell he doesn't belong here. And so I see that there's a car that pulls up, and he sticks his hand out, and they're doing something. So I call the Randolph Police Department, and I say, this is Ellen Murphy, and there's something going on up here on Highland Avenue. I'm like, you never explain. What happened? That's dangerous, you know? Thank God you're... Oh, well, the cop came by, and they drove around. Of course, the kids drove off. And a week later, I see the same thing. I call up. Now I know the detective. Nice, nice, nice man. Um, <laughs> and he says, can I come up? Will you leave the door open for me? I'll come up in my thing and just I want to come up and see for myself. And now I'm thinking, okay. You're... And so it evolves from there that he says, well, next Tuesday I'm going to bring – There'll be a bunch of us coming up, and you're going to have to help us get into the building. And my mother's running a sting for these like kids that are cooking meth down the hall. Oh my gosh! And I'm learning this years later. And I said, "You could have been killed. What if they she had could have guns? Been killed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they had guns. They found guns. Oh my! I said, God. Ma, I talked to you twice a day. I say, what was your day like? Anything happened? What's new? Oh, nothing. 
That would have been oh, a, that would have been a just a bunch of police r- officers. Randolph PD probably. Yeah. Well, she knew I'd have pulled her out of there instantly, and she didn't want to go. She got to have her. And she was she the was center just, of the drama. Oh, oh she said it was crazy. the most fun I ever had in my life. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I love your mom. Mm. Oh, she's amazing. She's quite a kick. And this next song, if that's what you're going toward, yes. is a Here song we go, number two. Yeah. Oh, give me a ticket. I had no idea this was a remake. Is that terrible? Well, this is not. This is the original, yeah. Original. Yeah. What's happening now in John Murphy's life when this music comes in? (laughs) Well, it was. Something funky. (laughs) Oh, oh boy. I don't know how deep he's willing to go. (laughs) This was actually. I, this and this horrified my mother because I would I was listening to music like this at a point in life, and my grandmother had taken sick, so I got my room back, and I <laughs> and my grandmother would stay every Thursday through Sunday, and she had uh, all these aches and pains, and so my kryptonite and I don't want it to leave this room is Ben <laughs> is Ben Gay. I can't stand the smell of it. I go into like oh, yeah. a oh, fevered, because uh, mm-hmm. she would. And then it would linger, and then it would linger, Mm -hmm. and you know she stayed in my room. I I would sleep on the floor in the living room. Anyway, once I got sort of my place to myself, I I did everything that I could to make it my own little cave, you know, and and I put these albums that I had been listening to. The Ohio Players, Honey, Honey. is one of them. Oh, <laughs> and, I know the uh, cover so the well. <laughs> and that's another formative thing. And it drove my Irish Catholic mother crazy that there was a double truck stuck on the wall of this beautiful black woman who's covered in honey. Mm-hmm. And it just was, uh, uh, it, it, I know, drove her crazy. And I feel badly about it in hindsight. But it was uh, for probably at the time, you know, that was my self-expression. But I loved R&B music and I loved... A lot of kids were listening at that age, kind of starting in with um, Black Sabbath and, and bands like that. I was listening to uh, R&B, Tavares and uh, soul, um, music. soul Music and Philly what Soul. What were you driving? I wasn't even driving at that point. 15, 14? This is when this come in? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. 12. Yeah. Wow. 12. That, I think that was the problem is that I was 12 and I was, I was looking up every night at, at, the, at okay. the Ohio Players. Yeah. Who was your first girlfriend? I mean, there was Lori LaTulip in kindergarten, but she, she really wasn't into me. Um, but uh, She was a drinker. She was a drinker. <laughs> I guess it was um, this girl, Lynn. Uh, she was grew up in North Randolph. Yeah, and she and I went out for a while. She, was, she, had, some, she had some serious issues, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I sort of started dating her and uh, fell into the, a group of people that still remain. Uh, I mean, a guy named Stu Siegel is my best friend, and, and that's how I kind of— she was running with that group. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Was that like, high school, middle school? Yeah, high school. Who was your first boyfriend, Maggie? His name was Paul. He was great. I think I liked him because his family was so awesome and mine was so absent. And so I would have dinner over there all the time and I would go to like his hockey games and I came up with the name of the band that he would eventually be in. Uh, um, what's that? I loved Paul. Um, the name of the band was called One Generous Cup. <laughs> One Generous Cup. That's and they were cool. They were very cool. They were mixed between like Eve Six and Blink-182. And they went and did like professional recordings. And yeah. I would help them throw these like street Ooh. shows. And so we would like build a stage and like 
get everyone in the neighborhood to come out. It That's was, great. It was really Where'd, fun. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey, but this was actually, mm. we lived in Irvine in oh, okay. Orange County. So we moved here when I was 15 and I met him in a limo, actually, strangely enough. Mm-hmm. I was on a date with someone else for a prom mm. as a friend. And I was like, oh, that Paul guy, and like he's cute and his little frosted tips. Mm-hmm. And we wound up just hanging out at lunch every day. And I was, yeah, I don't even know how that happened, but we dated for like four years. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, he was a bit, he was a, he was my first everything. Oh, yeah. I know. That's nice. Yeah. He you actually st- reached out on Facebook not too long ago. I was going to say, do you still take, because yeah, that's a phenomena that now happens. Yeah, and, yeah. He, um, he's married to a beautiful woman and they've got two amazing kids and it's oh, kind of great. fun to see like all the cousins and like his parents and how they're aging and it's just, I don't know, I was like, this is, that's your life, man. That's so yeah. great. And so yeah. he reached out not too long ago and said just some kind things about like how proud of me he is and just Good. Where I'm going yeah it was Beautiful. cool very cool Beautiful. who was your first Lori Smith her dad was a cop mm. you know first love I remember running home the night we kissed I was a eighth mm-hmm. grader and I, I ran all the way home I think it was eight miles like mm-hmm. sprinting home I, I was overjoyed that I had a girlfriend and I would meet her before school and have breakfast and uh oh. Yeah, she she uh, she was a, a a barrel racer, and her uh, sister was involved in farming and things of this nature. Just outside, is, of the, is this true or is, is, is this it's absolutely like true? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, you're allowed to ask, and if I, if okay. it's not true, I will stop when <laughs> okay. asked. Um, but uh, she turned me on to um, Waylon Jennings and uh, and, and um, nice. uh, Willie Nelson because uh, she broke her collarbone barrel racing, and her mother said, "Put the kibosh on the barrel racing." We went up to her room and we played Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. I love that. 172 sure. times. Yeah. Lori Smith. Great. Today, Lori Day. And we're Aww. friends on Facebook. I yeah, love that. That's funny. <clears throat> no um, friends like old friends. Number three? What the? David is having a moment. Yeah. yeah. Oh! song that should have made it into Forrest Gump, but it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. This is the roof. We're at the roof now in the north end at at Murph's, and it would go down into his apartment. These were sick parties. Oh, my God. It was fun. Yeah, this is the first concert I ever went to. (laughs) Should we just do the the whole spiel now? Uh, well, we'll, we could circle oh, back. Okay. We'll circle okay. back. All right. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll shelve that for now. No. But, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was um, a big Boston song, and uh, I just always uh, like Peter Wolf. Uh huh. Uh, he was kind of you know he was like the coolest guy in the city for for a long time. He was married to Faye Dunaway at uh-huh. one point. I don't know if you knew that. No. Very yeah, briefly when she was doing, I think when she was doing the Thomas Crown Affair out Jeez. here. But he was a DJ, one of the original DJs at BCN, and then became this. The Giles Band was just the hardest party band, and the and the they were just fantastic. Where are you in your life when Jay Giles comes in and the Giles Band? Um, yeah, I'm in high school, and uh, you know, uh, you had some interesting cars. Your dad had a '59 Caddy. You let yeah, me drive I, I went. That. I went through a lot of cars. Um, I, my first car was a uh, a Pontiac Le Mans in 1973. I, that is '71. Yeah, yeah, and that car—I mean, those cars were. Mm-hmm. And I was deeply influenced by things like Smokey and the Bandit. So I drove. Mm-hmm. I would never, ever let me 
I'm, I'm lucky to be alive mm. so many, so many, many times. But yeah, I had a VW bus that I love that. Saw many, many, many enjoyable. A high school kid with a VW bus with with uh, you know like uh, smoked windows, you know, with the, and I mean the thing hardly ever ran, but that was a great fun. <laughs> but there wasn't anything to do in Randolph, you know. When you were a kid, all you could you listen to the radio. I had friends in the winter. Saturday night was. Hiking a mile out into into three feet of snow with uh, two cases of beer, building a fire, and uh, telling stories, and and just being with each other. And it was, we had nothing to do ex- mm-hmm. except avoid the cops. We picked our spots wisely, and wonderful memories. But songs like that really were seminal. Uh, mm. Jay Giles, Ohio Players. I like that. The Beatles. Ready for song number five? Number five. Very pretty. He might cry. He'll cry for sure. I wish I would. I wish in vain. I wish I was a maid again. But a maid again. I can never be Until apples grow On an ivy tree What is this piece of magic? It's a beautiful lyric. Um, And she's a beautiful singer. And it's... It's the Chieftains and Mary, uh, Marianne Faithful. And Marianne Faithful in the day was very famous for dating Mick Jagger. And uh, uh, she was a big uh, icon in the, in the, in the you know, British rock and roll. And she's a beautiful voice. Yeah. And uh, this song they did on an album called The Long Black Veil from the Chieftains. And there's a lot of collaboration, including Mick Jagger mm-hmm. and uh, the Stones. Do, uh, they do all these traditional Irish uh, songs. My grandmother, Margaret, and Rose, and... Uh, Those are beautiful names. Yeah, and my grandfather, my mother's father, uh, Bill, they're, they're, they're all from Ireland. And when you listen to that song, it's it's a very interesting song, and there's some beautiful lyrics. Love is teasing, love is pleasing, when first it's new, but when love grows older, sure love grows colder, and it fades away like the morning dew. It has lines like that, and mm-hmm. it has lines like, what cannot be cured love must be endured love. And now I'm bound for America. And it's about immigration. And I thought it would be an interesting Mm -hmm. song to play today since people are facing this ridiculous, stupid immigration ban, travel ban. The travel ban. Yes, that went into effect. You know, your grandparents aren't immediate family. Family. Right. Right. And so I can, I, I only imagine the pain of what it must have been like to strive for a better life and leave Ireland. And now the complexities of that people must go through mm-hmm. is really, uh, uh, really, uh, you know, kind of profound, and, and it seemed apropos. It's also a beautiful song, and, and it just—it's been in How my did you family come for long. It? Oh, okay. Well, when I was a kid, Dad and I would often, as I mentioned, go out on long car rides because my mom and my my grandmother was a very strong-willed woman. You know, I think for my mom, she never thought she would get married. My mom and dad got married late in life. My dad was forty-seven, I think, and my mom was. 35. Mm-hmm. 
and the expectation was she would be the she had four brothers so she was the going to be the old maid who would take care of her mother all her life which mm-hmm. she dutifully did three days a week but uh they, <laughs> it would sometimes be a little tense and my mother was you know the way she would work off some of her tension is she was cleaning and cooking and cleaning and cooking and cooking for everyone in the complex this is before the crackheads moved in mm-hmm. uh, it was just all old nice couples and seniors and stuff like that so anyway dad and i would escape but a saturday afternoons had a uh, there was a radio show that would play called uh, wrol called the irish hit parade with john latchford <laughs> <laughs> And Irish music, and it wasn't, there's so many different kinds of Irish music, but this was the kind of Irish music that people identified with. They did a lot of traditional stuff, but, it, you know, the music is either a reel of, you know, where you're, it's high energy, da, 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 or it's the saddest thing you've ever heard. And uh-huh. it's, you know, and that's just sort of what the culture kind of kind of was. So that was, I was always playing in the house. Yeah. So yeah, I, Irish music for me is a big, is a big thing. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. You have a very, not only eclectic, but just a wide scope, you know, like you're very in tune with a lot of different kinds of music. Uh, Wonderful Fave Five. Yeah. I liked your Fave we, Five a lot. That was we awesome. We still have a fifth. We only did four? That's right. We did a Fave Four. That's sti- because we count and why I didn't We're count. still alive. We're Do still alive. It. Song number five for real. I want to be here right now. If you don't know, oh wait. This is so cool. <laughs> yeah, and then it breaks in a minute and in a bit, and and it goes into just the swinging thing that is. It's really, a, you know, Dave Brubeck was a, a fabulous, cool school jazz guy. Yeah, it's really... It's, it's uh, very cool. And I used to play this as all roads lead through the North End. Uh, I played. I used to play this um, on the as we are on 4th of July here, uh, weekend. Every year in Boston, they take out the uh, USS Constitution, Old Ironsides. Yeah. And they sail it out uh, into the harbor and then around and back, and people just come down to watch that. And I would sit on my fire escape that looked right at the harbor side, and I would play uh, uh, Take Five uh, mm-hmm. is, is the album. And if you listen to it and there are boats floating around and you have a Bloody Mary in hand, it is a marvelous experience. Yeah. And, and, and a, on a beautiful July afternoon in Boston, I was very, very fortunate yeah. to have uh, many, many, uh, many times that I was able to do that. So. So you've shared your incredible fave five, and we invite our listeners, we call affectionately call them the Tune Squad. Tune Squad. And they're invited to write in songs and play along also. So if they have a song that has a particular meaning or story behind it, they can you can email us at ytuneshuffle at gmail.com. And Dave has a particularly good song. I do. And the, the Tune Squad member just so happens to be my mother, Barbara. Aww. Yeah. And uh, she... Uh, Seems to remember, she writes, that uh, Mungo Jerry in the summertime, um, 
1964 was a routine day at the Meadowbrook Trailer Park where we lived. My older brother Danny, myself, my mom and dad. Uh, my dad went to work and my Aunt Nancy, who was 10 years old, was visiting. My brother Danny only had recently reached the age of one, so I guess we're Irish twins. Long-distance calls were rarely made, and only on Sundays were long-distance calls made. Your <laughs> arrival was scheduled for July 15th, but as we know, you chose July 8th. So there I was, just Nancy there. Had to get your dad. He was at the Stuart Park Day Camp working. It was summer. My dad was a teacher. Uh, we had to make a long-distance call to Grandma Bolt, leave Nancy and Danny, and off we went. And then you were born on July 8th, 1964. I was so happy. Uh, David doesn't begin to describe it. You were that doesn't begin to describe it. You were just a very adorable baby, and that's nice. That's really sweet. He blabs on and on and on and on and on about how lovely I am as a child. I'll maybe finish this another time. But thanks, Mom, for being part of the Toon Squad, That's Mungo great. Jerry. And uh, she does get a little long-winded here. But uh, right. oh, the times have was gone Was this by. the song that was like on the radio on the way to the hospital or something? I that, believe that would be absolutely yeah. appropriate if uh-huh. that were true. <laughs> no, after I was born, this okay. was the song that oh. they, the first That's one they really heard. heard. Yeah, uh, This is cute. Yeah, and the song, I was born in the summertime. Yes, you were. You're Happy lucky. birthday, David. You're lucky your name isn't Mongo Waterman. <laughs> Where I could, well, it could have been Mongo Earl. Jeez. All right, so thanks, little Mom. Mongo. Oh, little little Mongo. Mongo. little memory and a little tear to the eye. Ah, uh, little Mongo. Okay. That was our listener story of the week from our Toon Squad, brought to you by Your Name Here. And this next segment, we like to break it up since we've sure. been so song heavy. David, <laughs> David has put together a little game called Band Name or Bar Name, <laughs> and comes up with a handful of different names, and we have to guess if it's the sure. name of a band or a bar. Okay. Yes, th- this was based on a, an idea I had for a comedy routine back in the uh, the '90s in New York, and I would just read out of the uh, village voice and i'd say am i reading the name of a bar or a band yes. and it, normally um normally we you the the guest that played last mm-hmm. episode would pick the city but since it's david's birthday week we decided sure. to go to his hometown that's and 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 that's where we are ithaca new york the town i was born back in 1964 <laughs> and i now will read uh, the name of a band name or a bar okay. name and I have okay. no idea what he's picked, so okay. we are going to play together. That's fine. We All will right. get points. They okay. just don't matter. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, tonight seems like a good night. We're all in Ithaca hanging out. We've just had a nice chat, listening to some music. And I'm thinking, anybody up for bandwagon? You guys up for bandwagon? Am I taking you to a pub or am I taking you to see an actual band? Bandwagon? Bandwagon. Hmm. I'd jump on that bandwagon. And go. So would we be listening to some music, or would we go having some? I'm gonna. I'm gonna guess uh, the band is a giveaway. I'm gonna say it's a band. I'm gonna say it's a bar, and they have amazing onion rings. Well, uh, in this case, uh, it is kind of a like I like to do with this with this game. It is mm-hmm. a twister. Bandwagon is actually a pub. All Late right. night happy hour and rotating house brews and a laid back prub, pub brew pub atmosphere. It. Innovative American Eats located at 114 North Cayuga Street. In beautiful Ithaca, New York. As long as they have onion rings. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> talking machine. Should we go to talking machine tonight? Hmm. I'm going to stick with band. 
talking machine. That's so machines. funny. I was going to stick with bar. That's okay. <laughs> really? This is stumping. I like the fact that yeah. this is stumping. You know, there isn't, there isn't a consensus. That's good. Yeah. Well, married couple Chris Holub, a.k.a. Yeah. Tim Monk, and Diana Holshammer, Holub, are indeed talking machine. Available as an acoustic duo or three-piece band with addition of longtime drummer percussionist Sam Allen. I think I went to high school with Sam Allen. So for bookings, <laughs> go ahead and... Uh, and, and Book through uh, acoustic band from Newburgh, New York, and now living just 143 miles outside of Ithaca. But but they play every Wednesday at Bandwagon. So. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, they might. So there they, they might. You know, I I really I really think that we should check out Mod Society. You go. <laughs> Mod I'm say Society. A band on this one. Mod Society. Yeah, I think it's a group of fashionistas that think they can sing. Um, uh, I'll go with Maggie. You're going to go with Maggie. The collaboration worked because. Mod Society combines modern chic style with top quality music entertainment rooted in the vintage jazz tradition. Mm. They also specialize in blending indie rock, classic rock, and top 40 into mashups that are quite enjoyed. They're originally from Brooklyn, New York, and now residing and playing in Ithaca, <laughs> New York. And they made we, it, baby. That's right. They made right. it. <laughs> right. Level B. Level B. There's level A, I suppose. There might be level C. Mm-hmm. This is level B. That's where the B-list celebrities this go. This might be a B-list celebrity <laughs> bar. Level B could be a B-list band, cover band. Level B. It sounds like a video game place. Mm. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like where you'd go and run right. like, yeah, pinball all night long. At level B? At level B. I would drink there. You would? You wouldn't want to hear their music? No. Oh, dang it. <laughs> no, no. Well, you're right, because Level B, located at 410 Eddy Street up in Collegetown in Ithaca, New York, serves great cocktails in a casual atmosphere, and they're open to groups. They won't open until 9 p.m., so it's a hip, happening kind of place. Like an after spot. Indeed, indeed, indeed. See, now, this this one this one threw me. I did, I did a couple of times. Want to go to the Lone Ranger? You guys up for the Lone Ranger? Want to go to the Lone Ranger? That sounds a little sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You, I think you'd I, like I'm, Tonto. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's <laughs> something in there. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? I'll 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 guess that it is a place. The Lone Ranger. Say bar, uh, band. A bar. The Lone Ranger are a mission to save the are on a mission to save the world mm. from boring. This from is boring, a hard one. Sporting a deep catalog of hits from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Oh, they're a cover band. They are a cover band All today, right. and the band can elevate any social gathering to a sing-along, dance-along, righteously good time. I would hire The Lone them. Ranger, right out hmm. of Ithaca. <laughs> okay, and now, last but not least, Moonies. <laughs> Moonies. Bar name or band name. It's up to it you. Ha- it has to be a bar. It has to be a bar. You're absolutely right. It's a bar and a nightclub at 114 East State yes. Street in Ithaca, New York, with great cocktails, a wonderful happy hour, and stop by any time for good old conversation with both locals and imports from two of the greatest colleges in Ithaca, New York, Ithaca College and Cornell University. Stop by Mo- Mooney's. We promise you won't be driven into a cult. John, it's now your duty and uh, honor okay. to choose next week's location. Um I bet that there would be interesting ones in Fort Myers, Florida. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you're right. We're going to go to Fort Myers, Florida, which is that where the Red Sox that do happens spring, also to be uh, spring Red Sox training. Spring yeah. training. Yeah. Nice. All right. So apropos for our Boston but they have all friend. Funky bars and Way stuff. Way to catch too. that reference. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Thank all you right. so much for playing Band Name or Bar Name.
Well, thank you for playing Bar and Band. Yes, that Brought was good. Brought to you by M2M Studios. That's M2M Studios. Rolling out real day, August 8th, 9th, 15th, and 16th, right here in Burbank in Envision 8 Studios, a place where Maggie and I performed with director Mark Rosella, member yes. of Envision 8, that beautiful uh, studio in Burbank. If you're, uh, Are you ready for episodic season? When was the be- last time you updated your reel? Are you still waiting to get a copy of the scene you did months ago or even years? Well, we've got your problem solved. Just book a time, August 8th, 9th, 15th, and 16th, and we'll give you a Y-Tune Shuffle discount for... Uh, taking the trouble. Just uh, send us a shout out to ytuneshuffle at gmail.com. And thank you very much to William Herndon and N2M Studios. That's M2M Studios coming out to LA in August. Well, we've gone through your fave five. Yep. Your fave five songs, bringing it current to 2017. What's your guilty pleasure? Is there something that you're listening to? And if hmm. your friends got in the car and they were like, really, Murph? Then we have to. <laughs> I use this as an example. I'm a big country music lover and fan mm-hmm. but i'm geeking out on a little justin bieber like i am a believer oh, well, that, it's my guilty pleasure worst guilty pleasures i suppose to thank have you. Yeah. thank you you know i still i'm excited that but it's not really a guilty pleasure because it's a popular show um what is it uh, ray donovan is coming back um i don't know have you ever seen that show it's on mm-hmm. showtime oh we have schreiber it's a really it's nice a, it's a cool show it has a lot of the themes we've talked about here today. It's uh, he's a he's born in Southie and he's a fixer in Los Angeles and okay. he just gets into all sorts of kind of trouble and and he's just this great kind of stoic, quiet. But you know he's got family issues and yeah, I rec- I'll give it uh, that a plug and guilt free. Oh, it's a, you, know, you are we, guilt free. Guilt free. Okay. Yeah, That's no great. apologies. No right. apologies here. The next segment, the one that we like to end the show on, is David's favorite, so we uh-huh. save it for last. Okay. That's right. Brought to you by Insert Sponsor here. You alluded to it earlier with mm-hmm. your second choice, oh, okay. Jay Giles, but we're curious here at Y-Tune Shuffle to hear a little bit about the very first concert and go into details about that day and why it's you know how that was memorable. Yeah. I mean, I, re- I recall it as being like the first big show that I had been to. And again, my friend Stu, his dad was a, uh, what was called a rack jobber and they would put up the uh, records in the, uh, in, in uh, uh, stores. And so he had all these uh, music connections and stuff. We had just sort of started becoming friends and we were all going to see the Jay Giles band at the Cape Cod Coliseum, which was a bit of a ride to go see uh, music. And it was in the summer and it was a sweat box mm. It was great, you know, and it was this. I'd never seen them live. I'd heard their music, and they are a mar- they were a great band to see live. And it was like a long ride down, and you know, mm-hmm. we were doing nefarious things, as was the, <laughs> as is the theme of the show. And the what was your and, seating situation? Where, how, uh, I think I think you stood. Was it well? well yeah, it was general like, admission. Yeah. Oh man. And uh, yeah, the Cape Cod Coliseum was owned by Vince McMahon, and it, and it was <laughs> a. Uh, That's funny. Yeah. And uh, and then, uh, uh, but it was it was kind of like a, almost a, it was a kind of a roadhouse arena sweat box that all these people, if you're down in the Cape, they'd go to and uh, or we'd make the ride down and and uh, yeah, I remember it just like wow, this is she's cute and she's cute and look at her and you know there's something about concerts and uh-huh. you know it just brings out that when you're that age, you're just like oh my god, this is. Uh-huh. Fantastic. It's the same for women. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That guy's cute. Yep. Uh-huh. And everybody, yeah, and everybody's, you know, it's summer, and mm-hmm. and back then no one was, you know, everybody was uh, mm-hmm. open to having a great time. And, and, uh, and, 
<laughs> am looking eagerly for it. Uh-huh. And uh, so, Jay Giles. That's, First yeah. concert. Yeah. Before you go, if there if there are some unanswered questions or reach some new fandom for you, how what's your corner of the internet? How could a potentially new fan connect with you on the internet? Um, they could go to my website, which is simpaticocreative.com. And that has all that and you'll see Z and you'll see I don't know if I have you up there because I don't think I have a Oh, yes, you I wouldn't. do. I do. It is it's in the backstory oh. part. So I put up Campaigns we've worked on. Cool. And then there's you can click on a little thing that shows the whole campaign and the backstory and behind the scenes. And so, yeah, they, you're on there. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. John Murphy.